Welcome, you guys watching online. Welcome, everybody here. Um, you know, we were talking about contemplation and meditation. You know, you know, the world can't create anything because it's a created thing. But what the world does try to do is it does try to mimic the things of God. And, and the reason it tries to mimic the things of God is because it's actually trying to attain to God. The world is actually trying to attain to the likeness of God's immortality, right? But because they don't know God, they try to attain it in ways that are contrary to God. And so meditation isn't a worldly thing. Contemplation isn't a worldly thing. That, that's actually stemming from prayer, right? And, and you see the earliest form of prayer with Adam walking with God in the cool of the day, contemplating, right, God and the work of God to make creation, contemplating everything that God did to serve him with life, right? Talking about it, talking about everything. That's the earliest form of prayer. Um, and, you know, since we were talking about contemplation and meditation in there, we'll just close our eyes right now and just for a moment think about the Lord and what he's done. And if uh, you guys can be so gracious to me, I'll pray on all of our behalf. You guys can pray however you like within yourself. Father, we just thank you for calling us by name. Thank you for showing us that we're not orphans. We have a Father whose good pleasure is to care for our lives. Thank you for, for caring for our lives exceedingly, abundantly, above all we could ask or think. Thank you for showing us the thought you've taken to care for our lives in the resurrected, glorified Jesus. Thank you, Father for pouring yourself out in your Son and in your Holy Spirit into us. Thank you, Lord, that even though we're in an earthen vessel right now, that we have the treasure. We have the treasure of your likeness even inside of this earthen vessel. Holy Spirit, awaken us to the likeness of the Father that's dwelling inside of our earthen vessels. Holy Spirit, awaken our senses to that which they're longing for, which is the Father and the love and the life that's in the Father. Thank you, Father, for walking with us, for causing us to grow in wisdom and in the stature of sonship. Thank you, Father, for causing us to grow in our understanding of you, in the life that you created us for from the beginning thank you father that with each moment with each breath with each second we are breathing you in we are breathing you out thank you with each one of those breaths we are growing in our experiential knowledge of you we are growing in our intimacy with your life thank you father thank you jesus <coughs> amen what a lovely what a lovely father that comes and explains life to you, you know? And it's, it's a beautiful thing when you start, God becomes so real. You know, we, we struggle to see God with our senses, sometimes our natural eyes, but you can see God with your senses, taste and see that the Lord is good. The thing is, is that you see God with your heart. And it's even like you can touch and handle the Lord, even with your heart. And I thank God that, and the gospel will give that to you. You can't attain to it on your own. You can't work it up. Uh, because you want it. You could have a zeal, but if your zeal isn't according to knowledge, you'll never find yourself tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. In fact, one of the most dangerous things is to have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. That's like one of the worst things that could ever happen to anyone, because you end up doing a whole lot of things. I'm the chief of that kind of guy. 
I had a zeal. I don't know if you could tell. There's a zeal. But one of the, one of the things I love the most about the gospel is it, it makes God so real that he's, he's no longer like the great and powerful Oz. He's no longer just like some distant voice or some distant thought. It's like God becomes so real to me that I actually see God coming and sitting next to me and teaching me about life, helping me to understand myself, exercising my senses so I can uh, interpret Him or discern Him is probably a better word. You discern the Father. You discern the Father with you. You discern His presence. And you begin to discern life by seeing Him with you. And it's, it's, it's as if He's teaching you about life and you're growing up into Him. It's actually Him conforming you to the image of His Son. And conforming you to the image of His Son is not talking about, well, you got some bad behaviors and we're going to fix those behaviors now for you. Conforming you to the image of His Son is Him bringing forth the likeness of His life inside of you, where you begin experiencing the fullness of the Godhead dwelling in you bodily, where you start to find your senses experiencing the likeness of the Father's life and you start to find yourself being filled with peace and love and joy and kindness. You find your flesh put to rest. You find your heart purified from fear. You find your desires for life satisfied in Him giving you Himself in the body of Jesus. Right? Man, and it's we have examples of this all, all over the place in just our natural world because I'm, I'm thinking of my dad showing me things when I'm a little boy. Right? Showing me how to walk, showing me how to ride a bike, how to work on the bike, how to do all these different things, how to run. Right? I'm thinking about my mom showing me things, teaching me things, mostly teaching me how to be nice to other people. <laughs> Greg, you can't win every game. You've got to let other people win also. But I think about that the, the Lord is so tangible. It sounds so weird to say, but... And I'll say it this way, and I know we have a perverted culture, so this will offend people, but I had to make peace with offending people a long time ago. The Lord is the most sensual thing I've ever experienced in my life. And I don't mean sexual. Sensual. And what I mean by that is like, I feel His embrace. And like every moment of my life now, I feel him there with me. I'm aware of him there with me. And when I say feel, I've been saying this because sometimes people think if you feel the Lord, that means you always just feel nice. No, I'm talking about in the presence of not feeling nice, not feeling comfortable, just being aware of the embrace of the Father. Right. And just knowing it, tasting it, experiencing it in the place of, you know, uncomfortableness, in the place of frustration, in, in the place of uh, angst, anxiety pressing on you, in that place, just feeling, right, the, the embrace of the Father. And man, that's a powerful thing in your life, to just walk around aware of the presence of the Father, which is, it's simplistically speaking, because we make the gospel about so many different things, simplistically speaking, I mean, we're the temple of God. Well, you know what a temple is? It's the place where God himself dwells. It's where the presence of God dwells. We're, we're all the temple of God. Do you know what that means? That means that we're the place where God finds his rest. We're the place that God calls home, right? And we all talk about a dream home, and we all want a dream home. We dream of all these homes that we think is the perfect home for us, the place where we could really enjoy life, right? Where we could really just kick back and say, ah, that's nice, all is well. Well, listen, man, God could have lived anywhere. 
He could have resided in anything, anywhere, at any time. And the thing about it is, is you're God's dream home. You're the place where he decided he wanted to dwell for all eternity. You're the place that he decided he could be himself the most. You're the place he decided he would most enjoy life, where when he's with you, when he's in you, when he's braided and fused together with you as one flesh in one spirit in one body, he just feels like, this is nice. Everything is just right. And when you start to see that, man, it's a powerful force in your life, right? Because you start realizing, but my body is God's temple. You know, when you had a priest in the temple, and the priest would come and keep the temple. The priest would come and perform all these services to keep the temple, to keep it going. You would have people come in to clean the temple, to work on the temple, maintenance on the temple. And so you start to think of God making your body his temple. He didn't come to be a couch person. That's what we called it in Colorado when our friends that didn't want to work wanted to stay in the house. Right? Well, they, they stayed on the couch. We called them couch people. <laughs> right? They don't work. They don't do chores. They don't do anything. They're just having a hard time in life right now. Well, you can stay on the couch. But the Lord has not made your body his temple to be a couch person. He's come and dwelled inside of you to uphold your life, to keep your body from corruption, to keep it from death, to seal you with himself to the degree that you can find yourself overcoming the grave, overcoming corrupted flesh, and being made manifest and glorified immortal flesh and dwelling like that for all eternity. Amen. The man knows how to keep a house. When you're hiring a housekeeper, you're not just hiring anybody, you're looking for a reference. You want to know the person can do the job. You want to know they're not cutting corners. You want to know that they're not pretending to dust all the while leaving the dust everywhere. You want them going to find the places where you can't see the dust to get the dust out. You find somebody like that, you hire them. Well, we see the Lord's reference for housekeeping in the resurrected Jesus. That dude knows how to keep a house. Jesus is his reference. The Lord's like, you need references? I get it. I get it. Here's my reference. <laughs> you understand? And uh, that's a nice thing when you start to know God like that. You see how personal it is? You see how intimate it is? Right? Even just the thoughts of how you behave or don't behave fade to the background. Where that's not what you're thinking about with the Lord. Right? You know what I was never thinking about when I was running to my dad when I was a little boy? I was never thinking about what I had done wrong. I was just thinking about running into his arms. Jesus talked about becoming his little children. Just run into your daddy's lap. Sit on his lap. The place where you're not going to be scrutinized. The place where you're not going to be judged. The place where you're not going to be rejected. The place where you're going to be embraced. The place where you're going to be exalted. The place where you're going to be cherished and loved and honored and respected. Imagine that. Listen, you start to see that the, the God of all glory, the God of all glory, we're talking about God. I mean, he made all of this. He made everything. He holds everything together. There's nothing that have life that didn't get life from him. That God respects you. That God has honored you by pouring himself out for you. That God has honored all of us by laying down his life for our well-being. And it wasn't grievous for him. It was his good pleasure. He'd rather die than let somebody else come and do it. Man, when you start to see the honor God has bestowed on you and calling you his sons and calling you his daughters, when you start to see that God himself respects you, you know what you stop caring about? Whether anybody else respects you. Because you find, we all desire respect, actually. We all desire honor. That's like inherent in us. But we're, 
We're created to find those desires satisfied in seeing God bow his head to us, in seeing God honor us, in seeing God call us his own. That's where we're supposed to find that desire satisfied. And so when you find satisfaction by awakening to his likeness in you, and you start to see, what must God think about me that he even came and laid down his life just so he could make my body his temple? You feel respected. You feel seen. You feel heard. You feel understood. You feel honored, right? And that sets you free from trying to find those things in created beings, in things that are created. Because the only thing that can satisfy your desire for those things is something that is without beginning and end. Right? God's the only one without a beginning or an end. Well, we don't have an end now. But he's the only one without a beginning. (laughs) You see? (laughs) You think about that, you become happy. Um, and you just begin to, that's, you begin to testify of the Father, right? Which is the ministry of Jesus anyway. Um, guys, we, we are going to meet tomorrow at 8 in the morning here. Um, so if you can be here, we'll meet Wednesday night at the Jenkins. If you can be there physically, be there with us at 630. It's in Eden Niles. The address is on the website gospelrevolutionchurch.com. If you can't be there physically, we Zoom. You can Zoom in. People from all over, Zoom in. If you can't be there physically, if you can't Zoom in, you can watch it later on YouTube. Imagine that. Hallelujah. Right? Um, And I guess everybody, I told Becky, everybody likes the Bible study from last Wednesday. I came home and she was like, I was was like, oh, I think it was okay. You know, I just, sometimes my brain isn't thinking right. And then you realize your brain doesn't need to think right for the Lord to, to speak out of you. Sometimes it's better for your brain not to think right. Um, so go listen to uh, the Bible study Wednesday night. And, you know, that's a form of worship for us. I know we think of worship as this, right? Or we got to get on our knees. And Listen, when you see the Lord, when you, when you see God hold out his hands, and they're pierced, and he says, peace unto you. You might find yourself falling on your knees. You might find yourself weeping. You might find yourself singing. But that's not what worship is. It's not something external. Worship is, is, is more like where you are beholding the work of God to bring forth himself in you, to serve you with his life, right? That's really what worship is. Jesus told the woman, I think it's the woman at the well, that that. Now is the time coming where the Lord will seek see the true worshipers, those who worship in spirit, even in truth. Do you know what that means? Do you know how you worship God? You come together and you behold the truth that was made flesh in Jesus. You behold the word of life that was made flesh in Jesus, which the word of life that was made flesh in Jesus is that the Father poured out of himself his life so you could live and not die. And you know, when we come together and talk about that, those things keep us. You know why we have traditions? Do you know why humans even like traditions? I'm strange. I think about everything. I think I got that from my dad. And it's a a magnificent thing when your thoughts get caught up with the Lord. But you ever wondered why we even like traditions? We all do. I mean, we talk about Thanksgiving. Look, my little sisters do a great job with Thanksgiving. But I grew up with Thanksgiving with my mom. And so it's just a little bit different. And I feel pain. Because we had a tradition. And even, look, don't take this the wrong way. My mom does Thanksgiving and Christmas amazing. And it's like I can't even remember. But, you know, my grandma used to do it before my mom did. And, you know, the first few years that my grandma didn't do it anymore, my mom did it. 
My mom did a lovely job. It was fantastic. Don't take it wrong. But it wasn't my grandma, so I felt pain. And so we, we, we have these traditions, and we don't even know why we have them. We get, and we get so upset if something comes against those traditions. We get so upset if something comes against them. And really what traditions are, we like structure because we think structure makes us safe. That's why we like it. Right? Even like kids, right? They, they tell you if, you if your kids know what time they're going to bed and they know what time they eat every day, they don't have to think about those things. The structure makes them feel safe. And so the reason why we love traditions is because it gives us what we call structure. And we think it's the structure that makes us safe. We feel kept by the tradition. We feel kept by the structure. That's why in Christianity, the traditions of man can make the word of God of no effect because we've heard from people we're supposed to esteem that this is how it is. And now we value that tradition we've been taught. And we value that tradition that we've been taught more than the person of God. And so now we're thinking it's these traditions we've been taught that keep us instead of God himself. It's our structure. The young people today call it safe spaces. Our traditions are our safe space. We think they give us a habitation, a refuge. We know how things will be, right? This is how it is. Don't come and tell me it's different. Jesus came upheaving their traditions. And in their mind, he was destroying their structure, their safe space. Right? But they began valuing the traditions more than God to the degree when God Himself came into the earth to explain Himself to them and to explain them to themselves, they rejected Him and crucified Him for their traditions. We will die for our traditions. Why? I mean, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? <laughs> Somebody wants to bring something new into Thanksgiving, who do they think they are? What was that video, babe, that we were watching with those two women talking and the sister wanted to try something new with the potatoes and the other sister just goes off on her. Don't experiment on Thanksgiving. <laughs> experiment in your own house, <laughs> alone. And it was like life and death there. It's like that with Jesus, with the whole penal substitution thing. When we came talking about Jesus is God, how can God forsake himself? The Bible says God was in Christ. Jesus says in John 12 that the day is coming, and he's talking about the cross where everybody's going to scatter for me, and it's going to look like I'm alone, but I won't be alone because the Father will be with me. The Scripture clearly teaches that Jesus saw the Father. He even cried out to the Father. The centurion even says, truly, he's a righteous man. But you come, because of our traditions, you come and tell somebody, no, 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 the father did not forsake the son. How can the father forsake himself? Jesus said, if you've seen the father, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. You're supposed to see the father at the cross. You're supposed to see the father laying down his life for you at the cross. But our traditions separate God at the cross. We call it the Trinity, but now all of a sudden we remove the Son from the Trinity and we say it's only the Father and the Spirit and the Son is no longer one with the Trinity. So are we saying that there's a time where the Trinity didn't exist? We don't even think about the things we say. They make no sense. But you come poke at it and now we're going to kill you. It's called cognitive dissonance. You ever felt cognitive dissonance where you believe something your whole life and somebody comes in like, wait a second, and you're like, all of a sudden, you feel unsafe. 
You feel like everything you know has just been torn down. I did that with God. I, you know how many years I told God, it says right there, why have you forsaken me? <laughs> nope, nope, it says right there. I'm a stiff neck kind of guy. He had to like show me throughout all the scriptures, okay, how can I argue with that? And now I got in-depth, detailed teachings about all of it. But we get so upset with the traditions because we think they're a safe space for us. We feel, we feel it's our structure. We feel safe. And even if you like enter a period of your life where you don't have structure, you can feel discombobulated and feel not right. Like Becky and I, we worked at finance companies our whole life. You have regimented activity. You got to wake up at a certain time. You got to go to work for a certain time. You have lunch at a certain time. You get off at a certain time. Repeat, rin rinse and repeat. And you're doing that every day, right? And then all of a sudden, we don't have like a regimented schedule. We're in ministry. And I mean, I don't want to call it work because it isn't work, right? But I put in more hours than I ever did. But the hours are scattered everywhere. And especially because a bunch of the people we call friends, we call family, they're all over the world. So when it's morning, it's night. And when it's night, it's morning. But even in all that, the, the lack of a schedule, it was difficult for us at first. Because it's like, where's the structure? You feel lost almost. And retired people, people who retire, it messes the whole thing up, not just for the man that retired, for the woman that's used to the man not being there. Because they have their schedule, they have their routine, and they're used to doing it, and they feel safe. They like it. They like how they do things in the kitchen. They like how they do things in the house. They like what they're doing. They're used to it. It's their safe space. It's their tradition, don't you know? And the man now comes into that, and now he's upheaving the whole thing. He's not trying to be bad. He's just in the house now. He's trying to dwell. And you know what? He's trying to sort out his own confusion of no longer having his structure. His tradition, his safe space. You guys are thinking, why do we even start talking about this? Yeah, it's like 20 minutes later. I'm really driving home the point, aren't I? I want to make sure we understand this. You guys all know what I'm talking about. Everyone's like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Imagine being so ingrained in a tradition that because you think it gave you structure, because you think it's what made you safe, that you even rejected God when he came. Imagine that. So I say all that to say, we were created for a safe space. We were created for structure. We were created for a tradition, if you want to call it that. But there's only one tradition. It's called the faith that was revealed in Jesus. And it's that faith that has actually meant to keep us. It's that faith that structures our life. It's that faith that keeps our thoughts. It's that faith that keeps our hearts. It's that faith that keeps our minds. It's that faith that becomes the structure. And you see this in Galatians 3, where Paul talked about that uh, the law was given to shut them up unto the faith. The law was given as a tradition or a structure, a safe space, if you will. And it wasn't meant to be looked at as the safe space is behaving properly. If you read the law properly, what you would see is what the law said is you shall have one God, the Lord your God, and you shall have no other gods besides him. Meaning you will not worship the works of your own hands. You will not look to the strength of your own arm to try to produce life for yourself. And that ordinance, that law was meant to shut them up unto looking to God for life instead of looking to their own hand for life. And that was their safe space. That was their structure. 
And Paul says that was given until the faith that would later come could be revealed. And you know what the faith is that would later come? The Lord Jesus. And so the tradition, if we want to call it that, I struggle to call it that because of what the world has made tradition into. But the tradition, the safe space, the structure is the faith that was revealed in Jesus. That's why the Bible studies are so important. Because that faith, just through hearing it, Jesus said there's one thing that's needful. He said one thing is needful. Jesus said that. How many things do we all decide are needful? I mean, seriously, we got a list. (laughs) We got a list. This is needful, that's needful, everything else is needful. The Lord Jesus said one thing is needful. And do you know who he said that to? A woman who was troubled with many cares. The cares of the world. All these things are needful. And Jesus comes and says, no, one thing is needful. And Mary is doing it, and it shall not be taken from her. You see, the safe space was sitting at the feet of Jesus. The structure that would keep a person is sitting at the feet of Jesus. The tradition, the only tradition that matters, is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And how do you sit at the feet of Jesus? Yes, Jesus is a person, but he's not just a person. He's the word that was from the beginning. He's the spirit of faith that created all things. And so the way you sit at the feet of Jesus is you continue to hear the faith that was revealed in Jesus. The word was made flesh. The faith was made flesh. And that's how you find structure. You find your heart structured. You find your beliefs being structured. You find your thoughts structured. You find your heart kept. You find the safe space you were always looking for within this faith that came in the person of Jesus. And we all looking for a cleft in a rock. We all looking for a bosom to hide in. We are. And that's why we love tradition so much. And that's how the world can really get at us. Because the world doesn't come and tap into things that aren't there. The world comes and taps into things that are there. And so the world gives us a solution to something we're looking for. We all have a desire for a safe place. We all have a desire to be kept. We all desire that. And the world comes and says, this will do it. This will do it. And then we're like, yeah, that's shiny. This is the secret knowledge that I've been missing. This tradition, this, oh, I've really found it now. This will keep me, right? And so that's why we gravitate to those things. But the Lord comes and answers that by sending his faith. Paul said faith came. How did faith come? Jesus. He said God has given to every person the measure of faith. What's the measure of faith? Jesus. And so that's the the safe space. That's the structure, the reason we do all the Bible studies. That's worship. right? Even if you look at the early church, they they, they started doing all these things as a form of worship. right? The only worship there is is to hear the faith that was revealed in Jesus. The only worship there is is to sit at the feet of Jesus. That's worshiping in spirit, even in truth. That's the only worship that there is. That's the only thing that will keep you. And it ought not surprise us because God created everything through the spirit of his faith. Paul come and said, God who called forth light out of the midst of darkness. 
He says, we having the same spirit of faith as God had when he called forth light out of the midst of the darkness, we are calling forth people out of the darkness into the light. And how are we doing that? Through the preaching of the faith. And Paul told the Galatians, listen, man, I put Christ crucified on you, clearly in your midst. That's only what I ask you. Did he perform miracles through the works of the law or through the hearing of faith? How is it that you've begun by the hearing of faith and now you're going to continue by all the rituals and ordinances you can perform with your own hands? You have begun in Christ Jesus, so walk ye in him. How did you begin in Christ Jesus? You heard. How do you continue in Christ Jesus? You hear. And that confounds the wisdom of the world. Because it's a passive action. The reason it's a passive action is because you're not the one performing it. You're sitting and the Lord is performing it. But he's the one who does the work. Did he make Adam on the first day? Did he make Adam on the second day? Did he make Adam on the third day? The fourth day, the fifth day? Why not? Why didn't he make Adam before the work was done? I mean, if we're supposed to walk in our own good works, wouldn't God have made Adam to do some working? No, he made it Adam after all the work's already done. And the only thing left for Adam to do was to walk in his good work. And as Adam walked in the work of God to serve him with everything he needed for life and godliness, what he would find is the fullness of God being made manifest in him physically. And all of his senses being actuated by the likeness of the Father. That's it. Now when you walk in the good work of God, do you know what comes forth out of you? God. And you might find yourself doing some things. And people might observe you doing some things. That's not to be confused with the good works you're walking in. That's the fruit of the good work that you're walking in. Jesus is the vine. He goes on to teach about being the vine. This is the commandment. We think the commandment is to love one another. That's not what he says. He says, I give you this commandment so that you can love one another. Do you know what the commandment is? Abide in Jesus. He goes on to say, because you can do nothing of yourself. So how can you tell somebody to love and then right after say you can't do anything of yourself? He says, I'm the vine, you're the branch. You ever tried throwing a branch on the ground and commanding it to produce satsumas? Why not? But that's what we say about Jesus. And we taint the one safe space. We taint the one thing that keeps us. We taint the one tradition that is the only tradition that there is, which is what he's trying to teach us. Abide in me, I'm the vine. One thing is needful. Do you know why Jesus loved the world? Do you think the Father commanded Jesus to love the world? Do you know what Jesus said about himself right before he told us to abide in him? He said, even as I have abided in the Father's love. Do you see what he's saying there? Even I didn't do anything of myself. I laid down being divine. He was still divine, but he laid down utilizing the power of his divinity so we could behold what it looked like to be human and to look to God. And so you see Jesus, the reason why he loved the world on the cross is because he was abiding in the Father's love. And in him abiding in the Father's love, do you know what that did? It called forth love out of him towards the world. That's why Jesus would go and tell the rich young ruler, 
when he calls Jesus good master. What does Jesus say? There's one who's good. One who's good, even God. Do you see what he's saying there? Do you think they didn't see Jesus doing a bunch of good works? Do you think they didn't see Jesus doing all these wonderful things? And they came talking to him about all the good things that he did. And do you know what he says? There's one who's good. Do you know who he's pointing to as the one who produced all the good? God. And all Jesus did was walk in the good work that was laid before the foundation of the world. Which is what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4. That there remains a rest for the people of God. They did not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. They didn't enter my rest because they didn't walk in my good work. They tried to walk in their own good works. And I promise you, there's no rest for you in your own good work because your good works can't produce life. And so the Father's good work is He comes and manifests Himself. He manifests His life and He gives it to you. He gives it to you as a gift. And you know what? There's rest for you in that. Because when you inherit the fullness of life and you see you're a possessor of God Himself, do you know what you stop thinking? That you lack anything. If you don't lack anything, guess what you're not doing? Striving. That's how you enter the rest. He calls forth rest in you. He doesn't tell you you must rest. He calls forth rest in you. The way he calls forth rest in you is he gives you the light of his life. And then as you grow in your understanding of what it means that you have a treasure in this earthen vessel, you no longer interpret whether you have life or not by the earthen vessel, but you begin interpreting whether you have life or not by the Father's likeness dwelling inside of you. And that likeness begins satisfying your desire for life. And you're put to rest. It serves you with rest. You know, I don't know if I'm going to get to the message because I think that I went on already. No. no. But I just felt it, so I just went with it. it, it had to, I, I think it, it had to be said. The one thing that, that's needful. That's the main exhortation to all the believers in all of the New Testament. And we pervert it with all these different things. Right? sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's what James is talking about when he's talking about doers of the word. Those that do the work. He's not talking about outward works there. He describes what the work is. To continue to look into the perfect law of liberty. What's that? Jesus. That's the tradition. That's the safe space. That's the structure. What does he go on to say? Those who continue to look into the perfect law of liberty, he says they'll be what? Blessed in their deed. Why will they be blessed in their deed? Because there's a faith in Jesus that's been tried. It's been put in the fire, and it's been shown to be able to produce life even in the midst of the death of the cross. The faith that was revealed in Jesus actually sets a person free from the death that's in the earth. That faith was tested in front of all of us. We needed to see that there was something greater than death. We needed to see there was something greater than fear. We needed to see there was a life that could bring peace even in the face of death. In that faith, that life was put on display in the Lord Jesus. And we see in Jesus that my man went to rest even when he was dying on a cross. We see in Jesus that even love came pouring out of him when he was dying on a cross. He loved his enemy. He blessed those who cursed him. We see in Jesus a peace and a comfort that was greater than the pain of the cross. 
We see a faith in Jesus that actually saved his soul. It kept his soul from being subverted even when he was being nailed to a cross. It's been tried in the fire. All of a sudden, there's something greater than death. There's something greater than fear. There's something greater than torment. It's faith. That's the perfect law of liberty. That's why James says, Know ye not that you've been begotten again from the word of truth? You've forgotten. And all of Christianity has forgotten the one thing that's needful. And we're looking for traditions over here. And we're looking for exercises over here we can perform. Well, these guys did this back in 2nd and 3rd century AD. So now we're going to do that too. You don't understand. You're carnal still. You're still busy with iniquity. Because it's not about what people do outwardly. It's about the faith that's being declared inwardly. And it doesn't matter what people are doing outwardly if the center of all their gatherings is the faith that was revealed in the Lord Jesus. Because that's the one exhortation. That's the one real tradition. And people could do lots of different things around that truth. But as long as it's that truth, it doesn't matter. Like we were talking about, you can gather in a building. You could call it church. It's not whether you gather in a building or don't gather in a building. It's about, is the faith that was revealed in Jesus being put on display when you gather in the building? But carnal-minded people that have good intentions have perceived all the things that have gone wrong in the church building. So then, they don't understand it's the word in the church building, not the church building itself. So then they blame the church building. So now we just got to meet in homes. Meeting in homes is the answer. Well, you can go meet in the home and that's fine. It's wonderful. Whether you meet in the home or don't meet in the home, doesn't matter. Because if you can leave the church building and go to the home and you're preaching the same corrupt word that you had in the church building, it's still corrupt. Always looking external. Never wanting to come to the knowledge of the truth. The church is a building. You know, we were a building. We are a temple. I thank God he didn't think, let's get rid of them. He saw that it wasn't us. It was the Word that had gotten planted in our hearts. And He saw a Word had gotten planted in our hearts about Him. And He saw the Word that was planted in our hearts about Him is that we blamed Him for the death that manifested in us. We thought the death that manifested in us was because He was angry with us over our sin. We blamed Him for our death. Our understanding was darkened. And we were alienated from Him in our minds. Like Adam ran and hid from God. Why? He was ashamed of his nakedness. And he thought God was ashamed of him also. So he hid from God instead of running to him. And so God didn't get rid of Adam. God didn't say, we got to scrap Adam. We're going to need another first man. He saw that there was a word in Adam that was blaspheming his name in Adam's heart. That was filling Adam with fear in the presence of God. And he said, I need this man to see that I'm drawing close to him to heal him so that he draws close to me and I can clothe him. And so he didn't get rid of the building. He didn't get rid of the man. What he did was he purified his heart. That's what it means that he sanctified his heart. That's what the new heart is. He purified his image in our hearts. So whether you meet in a church building or you meet at home, all that matters is whether the word that's being preached has been purified right? The hearing of the faith, the one thing that's needful, looking into the perfect law of liberty. That's the good work. That's the only work that can make faith alive. There's a faith. We forget about this when we read James, but the word faith is a noun there. It's not a verb. 
There's a faith that has so much life in it that it can even purify your heart from the fear of the cross. There's a faith that has so much life in it that can even produce peace in you when you're starving to death. There's a fear that has a life in it that is so great that it can even put your flesh to rest while you're nailed to a cross, right? If we don't look at that faith, if we don't continue to hear that faith, then that faith is powerless to produce peace in us. That's what James is talking about. So don't just hear that Jesus came. Don't just hear that Jesus died on a cross. Don't just hear that Jesus was physically raised from the dead, but to continue to hear the word of truth that was revealed in those things. Because those who do that will be blessed in their deed. Why? Because that faith, that word is full of power to fill us with the fullness of God. That's the one thing that's needful. Paul says it a little bit different way because he's talking to Gentiles. He calls it walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit isn't talking about you need to go love people. It's not talking about you need to go produce the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, you might find the fruit of the Spirit come out of you. You might love you some people. You really might do that. I mean, I find myself loving people, and I'm thinking, my goodness. But walking in the Spirit, Paul calls it the hearing of the faith. You know what we're doing right now? Walking in the Spirit. Do you know why we're walking in the Spirit right now? Because we're hearing the faith. Do you know what we're doing right now? We're looking into the perfect law of liberty because we're looking into the faith and the life that liberates a person from death and the fear of death. We're doing the good work. The good work is to walk in God's good work, what he's done to liberate us from death. Even the disciples asked Jesus, what are the works of God that we might work them? What did Jesus say? Believe on the one he sent. You know that word believe? That's even a passive action. The word believe there means to allow yourself to be persuaded. Allow yourself to be persuaded by the one he sent. Jesus is the one he sent. And what's interesting about the word faith, when you look at the word faith, the root word of the word faith, do you know what it means? To persuade someone else that you're their friend. And so God sent Jesus to persuade us that he's our friend. And I promise you, if you, if you see God's your friend and you continue all your days beholding God with you as your friend, you'll be blessed in your deed. Do you know why? Because we're in a world that's bullying us by death. You know the kind of friend you need that can bully death? You know the only guy who can bully death? God. And he did. So God, I mean, we're like the kid at, at, at school that, that's being bullied, that's having our lunch money stolen, that's being put in the garbage can, that's being shoved in a locker, and we're coming home hanging our heads down because we're not even eating at lunch, and we're so ashamed to tell anybody. We won't tell our parents. We won't tell our friends. We're just so ashamed because what must be wrong with us that somebody's bullying us? Why won't we stand up for ourselves? And we're just feeling this way. Now, God sent Jesus. He sent his faith to persuade us that he's with us, he's our friend, and that he has in himself to bully the bully. Do you know who the kid loves the most that's being bullied? He loves the one that stands up to the bully. <laughs> that's the one thing that's needful. You see how you could describe it a bunch of different ways? But what we do in Christianity is we keep trying to change it. No, no, this is what's needful. And we don't see faith as a noun. That word faith means the gospel truth itself. The gospel truth itself 
is powerless to produce peace in you unless you continue to hear it. How many of you heard the gospel one time and then felt peace every moment of your life after that, never feeling tormented ever again? Oh, no one? Because Jesus says sufficient for each day is the evil thereof. And you're not creating, the gospel is not an intellectual exercise. It's not the kind of thing, well, now I know two plus two and I don't ever need to hear two plus two ever again. It's talking to the heart. And so the gospel truth itself, that's what faith, the gospel truth itself, without the work of continuing to hear it, is powerless to produce peace in you. That's faith without works is dead. How can faith produce life in you unless you continue to hear it? That's why the work is continuing to look into the perfect law of liberty. We're still talking about the one thing that's needful, tradition, structure, the safe space. The, the one thing that's needful, Mary was doing that one thing and it will not be taken for her. Listen, I don't despise the people because it's not the people, it's the system. Well-intentioned people were taught things that aren't true about the gospel and the scriptures. But you know what? It's sad because the church is supposed to be the one telling people one thing is needful, but you, the church is the one telling people the, the church is like Martha. We're trying to get everybody convinced of all these other things they got to do. And then we come and take the scripture that's supposed to convince somebody to sit and behold the faith and sit at the feet of Jesus, and we twist that scripture and turn it in to what they got to do to prove they have faith. Oh, man, if you actually have faith, the proof would be that you refuse to do anything to prove it. If you go look at the Lord Jesus, every time they tempted him to prove who he was, how many times did he do it? Zero. Oh, but I thought faith without works is dead. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a subverter. <laughs> but I'm a subverter of lies. One thing, we're, I want you guys to abide in the safe space. I want you guys to find the structure you're longing for. I want you to find the routine. We love our routine. The routine is to keep hearing the faith. That's the routine. That's why we have all the Bible studies. That's why I love the Bible studies. And you know what I could say? The Lord has truly kept me all these years. And you know what I did? The one thing that was needful. I just kept hearing the faith. Jewish people would call it Shema Shema. Hearken diligently unto the Lord your God. Do you know what that means? Hear and keep on hearing that the Lord your God is one God. You shall have no other gods besides him, meaning you will not worship the works of your own hands to produce life. Keep hearing that because it's within him that the peace and the love and the joy you long for will be called forth out of you. Oh, my towel. Yeah, glory to God. Yeah, this is what happens when, you know, I didn't get any sleep last night. And so I have this whole wonderful message to preach, but, you know, I'm not going to try and squeeze it in. And I think that we needed to talk about the one thing that's needful. Because you, you, you know what? You'll hear tithing is needful. And the way we've described tithing is completely bankrupt and broken. In, in the true sense of what tithing is, I would say, yeah, tithing is needful. But if you know anything about the tithe, what that meant was is that Jesus provided his body as the meat 
that would be in the storehouse, and now we partake of his body. That's actually tithing. It's not about giving money. So we made, you, you're going to have a good life if you'll give your money. You're going to have a good life if you'll serve in the church. You're going to have a good life if you perform a ministry. You're going to have a good life if you do everything right. You're going to have a good life if you love others. You're going to have a... Paul even said you could give your body to be burned. And it was nothing without God. You see? You can look on the external of what God will produce in somebody, and the moment you try to work it, thinking that will bless you with life, corrupt, it's broken, it's bankrupt. It, actually, it's evil. It's evil to look on the good of God and think, I'm going to produce it by what I do. So there's blessing in God. If I'm going to call forth blessing out of God by what I give to him in the form of my money, that's evil. You're blaspheming the name of the Lord, who gives to all people freely, it says, the just and the unjust. I mean, and we have a perfect example of this because we were all unjust. Does everybody know we were dead in sin when Jesus came? Well, did he take up an offering before he gave his body to be broken? Do you know why he didn't take up an offering before he gave his body to be broken? His body is the offering. He stood up in the temple, which is the place where God's name was, which was the storehouse, which was the place that they were supposed to bring the tithe. He stood up in there and said, my flesh is meat indeed. And what does it say? Bring the money into the storehouse? No, it says bring the meat. And you know why you brought the meat to the storehouse? So the people could come there and eat it. Well, if this is the storehouse, do you know what's here right now? The body of the Lord Jesus. And we all came into the storehouse knowing that the body was here and we're all eating it right now. And it tastes real good. Our blood sugar is good. <laughs> There's no sorrow added to that type of blessing. I mean, the Scripture says the Lord prepares the table. We don't prepare the table. We don't bring the garment. We just come and sit at the table and eat. But because we haven't taught the one thing that's needful, because we haven't seen the structure, the safe place, the routine is the hearing of the faith. Most people haven't even really heard what the faith actually is. Because we haven't heard that, we become distracted with all these other things, and all these other things become traditions. Right? Do you know what you know about the traditions of man? They suck life out of people. They don't provide life. I said they suck life out of people. They don't provide people with life. Because man-made systems require the life of people. God's system doesn't require life from people. God's system provides life to people. And as our good friend Gary Venturella said many years ago now, I think 2012, when we were first unpacking this for people, and I promise you, people in this area did not like it when I came saying that. Preachers need to deal with their own fear. You know what most preachers are afraid of? How am I going to survive? I know for Becky and I, listen, we had to be confronted with that. We worked at a finance company. We used to get in a check, a check every two weeks, a check, a check, a check. All right. Well, then you just walk away from that and you go and start a church out of nothing. There's no umbrella. Listen, I don't care how spiritual, how holy you are. You're going to hear the thought, how am I going to survive? Well, do you know what? You're going to do one of two things. You're either going to start connecting with God as your provision, or you're going to start trying to put a heavy yoke on the people to be your provision. <laughs> Ooh. 
That doesn't mean it's evil to give, but we don't give to get God to bless us. Right? You give out of a cheerful heart, out of believing you have all things. Again, hearing the faith. One thing is needful. That's just one of the traditions we created that we, and we teach it to people as a safe space. That will keep your life. Right? But no, the gospel, the scriptures, Jesus, all the apostles taught that the hearing of faith will keep your life. And the world keeps trying to take that from us. The world is Martha. I don't want to tear down this poor lady Martha. This poor sister Martha, you know, I mean, any one of us could have been like Martha, you know, before the Lord Jesus came, poured out his spirit. Some of us, even after the Lord Jesus poured out his spirit, were Marthas for a while. I mean, I was a Martha for a while. You do it innocently. You think it's the right way. And then you see, wait a second. God has taken thought to care for my life. And Jesus said, consider the birds in the, the field and the lilies. They neither labor nor toil, yet your heavenly Father, they neither sow nor reap, he says. And yet your heavenly Father takes care of them. What? He says, consider them. Take no, he goes on, take no thought for the care of your own life. I promise you, if, if you're giving money to the church thinking that's going to care for your life, you're taking thought to care for your own life. Jesus, take no thought to care for your life. Why? He doesn't, he's not telling you who cares about your life. He's saying you haven't been left in the place where you have to carry the burden of providing care for your own life. Just your father even cares for the birds and the, and the lilies. How much more valuable is your life to him than those things? So take no thought for your own life is something that happens to you as you see the thought God took to care for your life in the resurrected Jesus. And you can go and handle and touch the resurrected Jesus. We need a reference. Like I talked about in the beginning, we need our lives to be cared for. And if we're going to actually be put to rest, if we're going to actually give our lives over into somebody's arms, we need a reference. They actually know how to give our lives the care that it needs. Well, the glorified, resurrected Jesus is the Father giving us a reference that he knows how to care for a human life. You can go and handle the resurrected Jesus. You can touch the resurrected Jesus. And you know what? You're not going to find any sin and death. And you know what you're going to find? You're going to find the kind of flesh that can never be corrupted with sin and death ever again. You're going to find the kind of guy that can never be touched by weakness or death again. And you're going to see it by the hand of the Father. And now you're going to start to see that the Father has taken thought to care for your life exceedingly abundantly above all you could ever ask or think. <laughs> One thing is needful. One thing is needful. That's the safe space. That's the cleft of the rock. The bosom of the Father. That's the place. The disciple whom Jesus loved. John leaning into the Father. Right? Leaning into Jesus. Jesus is in the bosom of the Father. You see that? That's why we have all the Bible studies. I say this all the time. I'm not trying to make people come to church. We don't keep track of attendance. I even tell y'all y'all don't have to be here. Listen, I want to see you like I said in there because I like you. You're my friends. It's nice to see you. It's nice to talk about the Lord Jesus with people. But the thing that matters is you guys hearing the faith. And so if you can't be here, watch it online. That's why we do all this. Because what matters is for people to hear the faith. I don't need to feel better about myself by you being here. It is nice when you're here because I like you. So I'm not trying to make you leave. 
But I'm trying to emphasize the point. The hearing of the faith. I've said that ad nauseum all these years. You will be blessed in your deed if you will do that one thing. If you will just keep hearing the faith. Handling, touching the body of the Lord Jesus. Handling, touching the word of life. Beholding the faith that liberated this man Jesus from the death in the world. Continuing to look into this teaching, this word, that can even liberate a person from death. You'll be blessed in that deed. That faith is full of power to exalt you. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of the Lord and He will exalt you. That's the one good work. That's doers of the word. What word? The Father will exalt you unto life. How do you do that word? If I come and tell you the Father will exalt you unto life, how do you work that word? How do you perform it? That's right. Allow that word to persuade you and to keep looking into it. And if you have doubts or fears that come up when somebody says that to you, you let them come out because that's the Father purifying your heart from fear. Right? Hearing the faith. That will keep you. That is your sheepfold. That is your refuge as you walk in a valley that's shadowed by death. It will cause you to say, your cup runneth over. You'll fear no evil. Because there's a life that's greater than evil. And as that life is exalted in your sight, you see the life in the Father's hand. You see His hand is stretched forth towards you to grab onto you with that life and to lift you up. As that becomes lifted up in your sight, it shrinks the sufferings and the death in this present world. As Maurice so beautifully pointed out in the Bible study, where Paul said, I suppose that the sufferings of this present world are nothing to be compared to the glory that's to be revealed in us. You see what Paul Where did Paul get that from? You know where he got that from? He saw the faith in Jesus. You know the worst kind of death a person could die? The death of the Lord Jesus. And do you know what we see in that death that he died? There's a faith that's greater than what that death can produce in somebody. And there's a faith that can produce a life that's greater than even death in the flesh. And now that life becomes lifted up in your sight. Because whatever you think is the greatest, most powerful thing is what will be lifted up in your sight. And death was our God. Death was the giant, the Goliath that we were all afraid and ashamed of. And then here comes our David, God himself. And he really, show, he really demonstrates it, right? Because you don't see God hulking out. You don't see God check out the guns. Just like David came looking weak, right? Here comes God. Do you want to see how weak death is in comparison to my spirit of faith in my life, I'm not even going to do anything. I'm just going to let it give me everything it's got. I'm going to let it be like Clubber Lane and Rocky, the second fight, where Rocky's not even defending himself. He's just taking all the blows, taking all the blows, letting it wear itself out. I'm just going to let you guys see that the weakness of God is greater than the strength of death. He doesn't do anything. He lets it come into himself. And then that life that he has in himself swallows it and consumes it to the uttermost to the point that it raises up that body free from sin and death never to be able to die again. What? And as our good friend Phelan would say, that's when you become astonished. The Irish people, they got away with stories and words, don't they? I love when Phelan starts coming with the stories. 
And then well, you start thinking like a human and you start to think, why can't I tell stories like that? Right. And then all of a sudden you think, no, 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 no. I'm happy that he tells stories, but I really like what I do, too. I really because you realize the Lord brought this forth. And there's different members of the same body. And not every member is supposed to function the same way. And we ought not compare ourselves up against ourselves, despising one another for who and what we are or how we function. Right? You guys see that? The tradition? The routine? The structure? People think, people talk to me, people who know me, like I was a drug addict. I mean, I died on the hospital bed like nine times. I had to be shocked back to life. My brother can testify. I was, this poor guy, it's amazing he survived living under me. I mean, you think I'm joking. It's true. I mean, and my friends in high school, they can't believe that. You're a, what? You're a preacher? I was a drug-addicted, drug-selling heathen. The worst kind of way. And so people could see me. There's like, they could see that there's a burning in my bones. They can see God in me. They can see something has happened to that dude. And if you want to know the only thing that I've done, there's only one thing I've done this whole time. I kept hearing the faith. That's it. That's it. That's it. I kept hearing the faith. I kept sitting at the feet of Jesus. Everything in this world will try to keep you from that. That's the one thing that's needful. That's the good thing that Jesus said will not be taken from Mary. The world tries to take it from you. Don't let the world take you from the one thing that's needful, the hearing of the faith. Don't let the world come and convince you with its own wisdom that you need to take up your own life. Don't let the world come and convince you with its own wisdom that you've got to provide your own safe space, that it's the traditions that will make you safe, that it's finding out what the guys in the second century did, and if you go and do those same traditions, then you're worshiping like they did. Hogwash. You worship God by hearing the faith that was revealed in the Lord Jesus. That will keep you. It will. Now that's very confounding to the carnal mind because the carnal mind says, what must I do? What must I, surely, what must I do? That's why it says the wisdom of the cross is foolishness to the wisdom of the world. What do you see Jesus doing on the cross? I mean, he even has his hands nailed to a tree so he couldn't do any good work with his hands. What's the one thing he does? He looked, he was worshiping. He called upon the Father's name. He beheld the Father and the Father's life. He was kept in the, by the bosom of the Father. Right? Glory to God. Are you all okay if I don't preach this message? Yeah. Are you guys, what? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess I never finished the announcement. <laughs> I've said it jokingly all along. That's why you don't let the preacher do the announcement. <laughs> for, the, for those of you that are, are here for the first time or, or don't know, my custom is because I do the announcements, there's always a message before the message. But normally I cut it off enough with enough time. But today I just felt to keep unwrapping it. So I'm not going to get into the message. But I just want to leave you all with the one exhortation that's written in every one of the New Testament letters. Whether it's walking after the Spirit, as Paul said, whether it's looking into the perfect law of liberty, as James said, whether it's abiding in the vine, as Jesus said, whether it's the one thing that's needful, sitting at the feet of Jesus, Paul called it the hearing of the faith. That's the one thing. And if you will purpose to do that, then you will be blessed in your deed. 
you will find yourself, your whole spirit, soul, and body being animated with the life of God. That will be your safe space. If you want a tradition, make your tradition to keep hearing the faith. Right? If you want a routine, keep hearing the faith. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, that you didn't tell us to sit at your feet from afar, but you came and showed up. And that when you showed up, you demonstrated your spirit of faith. You showed us the substance of the life we were longing for was contained in the faith that manifested in Jesus. I thank you, Father, that you put us to rest at your feet like you would little children sitting around a campfire with. I thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is in all the people here and all the people listening to this message, that your Holy Spirit will keep their heart from the world taking from them the one thing that's needful. I thank you, Father, that you continuously declare your faith. I thank you, Father, that you have counted us worthy of yourself, worthy of your faith, worthy of your love. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah.